What are you waiting for? What do you anticipate? Um, if you have ever read a good uh, novel or like a series of books, say, for instance, Harry Potter, um, I know there's always fans in the room. Um, you, so for instance, with Harry Potter, when you get, you know, by halfway through the series, you are already anticipating the final showdown between Harry and you know who, right? <laughs> or if you've read Lord of the Rings, you are really anticipating them getting up Mount Doom to do what they need to do with the ring. Um, or if you've read Pride and Prejudice or other stories like that, you're waiting for the marriage, you're waiting for the relationship to come to fruition, right? anticipation or waiting, it's a part of the human experience that orients us to a brighter future. Um, Maybe you've experienced it uh, as you waited for the birth of your child, or uh, as you uh, anticipated a trip to the Bahamas, or uh, another way, if you're a disciple of Dave Ramsey, like my wife and I, you're really anticipating getting out of debt. Um, But there are other, other ways that we anticipate too. And the reality is, is that we actually struggle with a lot of our anticipation and our waiting because what we are waiting for is healing and fulfillment and restoration in certain areas of our life. And we wrestle with that. How long, O oh Lord, will I wrestle with this disease? Or how long, O oh Lord, will I, will I battle with, with losing loved ones? And there are unmet expectations and anticipations that are, that are met with disappointment. So here's a question for us to consider today. How should a Christian who believes in a God who works miracles and restores things, as we saw in the gospel today, how should a Christian think about waiting and anticipation and unmet expectations? If you um, heard from the reading in uh, Isaiah chapter 35 today, so here's the setting. Isaiah's a prophet, right? He's an Old Testament prophet. And he's speaking, he's speaking to Israelites who are in exile in Babylon, right? They've been exiled from their own land. They've been spread across the nation. They really are not doing well. And part of what Isaiah is speaking in, uh, in his speakings is calling them to repentance and to actually turn back to the ways of the Lord. But he's also predicting that restoration is coming. And that God is faithful to his people even when they're unfaithful and that there is hope for restoration. And so here's what we uh, heard today from Isaiah. He says, say to those who are, are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Now, these were great words for people who were living, who were displaced and were living under oppression, right? Because for them, they're reading this and they're thinking he's coming with vengeance. That means he's coming with justice to undo all the wrongs that have been done to us by our enemies. He's coming with recompense. That means he's going to compensate us for every loss we've suffered. And he's coming with salvation. That means he's going to restore the nation of Israel and reestablish his kingdom through the Davidic line. But I imagine that while it was hopeful, it was also frustrating because they looked around and they saw that uh, they were still oppressed. They were still displaced. When would this come about? Because when it would be fulfilled, that would mean to them they would know that a new era had dawned. God was fulfilling his prophecies through the prophets. Now, we fast forward many, many years later, hundreds of years to Jesus' time. Now, at the time of Jesus... The Jews had considered themselves exiled for hundreds of years at this point. Now, some of them were living in Jerusalem, but it was Jerusalem under Roman governance. So they were still oppressed. They still were not flourishing. They were still waiting for that vengeance and recompense and justice and restoration of their nation. 
where was this great God of Israel and his salvation? Now, listen to the story that we just heard, the second half of it. Then he turned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looked up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, (laughs) this was not the way that this was supposed to be fulfilled. This was not what was being expected, right? But here's what we're seeing. The God of Israel showing up to his people. But now, here's what's strange. This passage, it makes points about where Jesus is geographically for a reason because he's in Gentile territory, right? This is non-Jewish territory. This is, second of all, he's he's in a region of called Tyre in the Decapolis. So um, the region of Tyre, this is what Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, we have a bunch of his writings from the first century. He lived at the time of Jesus. Um, and Josephus said this about um, the Tyrians who live in Tyre. He said they are notoriously our bitterest enemies. Okay, so Jesus is moving around in enemy territory. And notice his compassion to this man who's a Gentile. He's not an insider. He's not, he's not one of the Israelites. He's not in God's family. And Jesus takes him aside from the crowds for a private encounter. He takes the time in the midst of the clamoring of the crowds. And note, did you notice that this man can't hear? So Jesus, he says one word, but Instead of speaking a bunch of things over him, he uses physical touch to connect with him. Touches his ears and his tongue. He's healed. You see the compassion of God there. Moving about in enemy territory. (gasps) Gentiles, unclean, red alert, red alert. But Jesus goes there. The God of Israel has shown up. And he's showing that the restoration project has begun. Not only for Israel, but for the rest of the world. This is important. See, in this, this is a mini sermon inside the sermon. In this little passage right here is a picture and a model for prayer for us. Because if you uh, have thought about prayer and you thought, God is busy, the Jesus, Lord Jesus is busy up in heaven, I'm going to send up a prayer and hopefully he'll get to it. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, it's okay. I'm me and he's him. Th- look at, think about this passage. Jesus takes this man apart from crowds. He was busy all day. He always had thousands of people who wanted his attention. He takes this one man aside from the crowds. And spends time with him and he heals him. See, Jesus is a God who is present to individuals. He knows our individual peculiarities, our needs, how we need to be spoken to, how we need to be healed, how we need to be touched. And he has time for us. That is the picture of God that we should have when we approach prayer. Okay, moving back on to the bigger sermon. Um, the healing that Jesus performs on this man, it's, here's what it is. It's a little picture um, of the kingdom of God. It's a little picture of fulfillment. He's saying, this is what is happening. The God of Israel has returned. This is the very thing spoken of in Isaiah by the prophet Isaiah. Now, listen to what Isaiah says in the rest of the passage that we just, that we, that I haven't read to you yet. He goes on and he says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. See, in Jesus' life and ministry, the God of Israel has returned to his people and to the rest of the world. This is what Jesus is doing when he heals someone. He's saying, look, this is a window 
into the kingdom of God. This is God's vision for the world and for all of humanity. Restoration, the healing of diseases, complete peace. This is why Jesus says things like this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And yet, and yet, the Jews, God's people, were still in exile. They were not flourishing. They were ruled by foreign powers. They were oppressed, overtaxed. And yet, and yet, you and I can relate because we still have unmet expectations. We still suffer from diseases that have not been healed. I'm still walking around with chronic scoliosis, and some of you are walking around with your own aches and pains. And most of us know somebody who's wrestling with unhealed cancer right now. And so what's the deal? If the kingdom has come, if God has visited the world in Jesus, then why are we still waiting? Why are we still anticipating so much? Why is so much unhealed? Why is so much unrestored? In Scripture, this is the way that the church has talked about this problem, the kingdom of God is two things. It's already and it's not yet. It's already and it's not yet. In fact, the title of my sermon, what is it? The title of my sermon today is, It's Already Here But Not Yet. Um, Because in Jesus... The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. The God of Israel has broken into the world and returned to his people and returned to begin his redemption project of healing the world. But it hasn't yet come into its fullness. And it won't until Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead and to restore his entire creation. You see, it's already and it's not yet. That's why we say on a weekly basis when we say the Nicene Creed, he will come again. See, most of us have experienced the good rain of God shining through in some way in our lives. We've experienced healings. We've experienced miraculous provision, maybe in financial matters. We've, um, we've seen loved ones come to confess Jesus as Lord who didn't know him. So we've seen the kingdom. We've seen the already. But most of us are still scratching our heads about the state of things in our lives individually and at the world at large and in the world at large. But if you believe what the Bible says, You believe that all things will be made new. Despite what we see happening currently in the world. St. Paul was uh, writing a letter to an early church in the Corinthians. You know, he's the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. And um, he was talking... Um, about some visions that the Lord gave him and, 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 and the honor that he had of being an apostle to the Gentiles on behalf of the God of Israel. And um, he said, lest I became puffed up with this issue, lest I became conceited with this calling, he said, the Lord, here's what he says to the Corinthians, he said, a thorn was given me in the flesh. We, we don't, everybody speculates about what that is. Did he have eyesight problems? Did he have, you know, bad digestion? We don't really know what that was. But he says, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from being conceited. And he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says this, therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, in his sickness and his ailments, for him particularly, it was to keep him from being conceited, but that's how he saw it. And then he said, but 
I will boast in the strength of Jesus Christ that is still at work in my life, although he has not healed me of this thing. He's not released me from this thing. He's not given me a complete restoration yet, but I will trust in him because his power is still at work. See, sometimes our suffering, our unmet expectations are a way, a thing that keeps Jesus at the center of our lives. It teaches us to become more dependent on God's grace to sustain us. See, if you believe that the kingdom is already but not yet, you know that everything is not yet as it should be. That is so obvious when we look at the world. Everything is not yet as it should be, but that God's promise is nothing short of a total purging and restoration of the world. Now, there's a danger um, that we have to avoid with this because if we don't cling to God's promises that things are not yet completely renewed and that that is yet to come, um, then we're subject to make some bad choices. Um, one author says this, he says, if we don't see the not yet, if we don't see how the not yet kingdom informs this life now, we become frantic about the things of life wanting to make them ultimate. Um, there, here's an example. This is when... Um, how this happens when people who are, they're trying to like do as much traveling as possible and squeezing in all the experiences of life that they can possibly do and, and, and get because they say you only live once. You only live once. And so you need to do as much as possible before death. That's not a Christian mindset. That doesn't show hope in the promises of God that, that this whole world is going to be restored and you have all of eternity to enjoy God's beautiful creation. It's a life lived out of fear. It's not trusting in the promises of God or that he's actually going to restore the world and the earth. See, the promise in the Bible, so many of us cling to the things of this world and try to get all the experiences impossible because we have a boring vision of heaven. We think we're plucking the boring worship at this giant mega church in heaven and we're just, God's down there doing something on his throne and we're just playing harps and kind of, you know, gazing off into the clouds. That is not the Bible's vision of heaven. The Bible's vision of heaven, and I'm going to read it to you in just a moment, is that heaven is coming here and that there will be a restoration of all things, of arts, culture. There will be peaceful relationships. There will be feasts and celebrations. We will have jobs to do. We will reign over the new creation with the Lord Jesus. See, if you believe that, if that's your vision of heaven, then you won't make the things of this world ultimate. Now, how do you acquire hope for the rebeautified, cleansed of all death and sickness world that the Bible promises, the Bible speaks of? Well, you, you acquire hope for it by clinging to the cross of Jesus. This is why he came, folks. Cause, cause you and I were not in a state of reconciliation with God. And Paul says we were his enemies, but he came after us anyway and died for us so that he could forgive our sins and bring us back into his family. So what do you do? You cling to the cross of Jesus and your hope becomes, the promise becomes that you will reign in a new heavens and a new earth and be a participant and the life to come for all of eternity. See, um, we say every week he will come again to judge the living and the dead. You see, where people stand in relationship to the cross of Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice for sins, determines their destiny in the new creation. Because it's the way that God reconciles us to himself and changes our hearts and everything that is in us that is at cross purposes with his will for us and for the world, he begins to transform. And he gives us his vision of life. And he, he lives out his desires and his will through us by our union with his son, Jesus. It's a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. See, if you cling to Jesus and you allow him to 
to do the transformative work that needs to be done. We talked about this morning in our class, moving from a me first kind of life to a God and others first kind of life. You too will, will live for the vision of God's kingdom. And you won't make the things of this world ultimate. See, your own manner of life, it will be like Jesus says, you will go around living a way that is like a, showing people this is a window into the kingdom of heaven. My life, the way, that I, the way that I'm gracious and forgiving to people in a way that does not make sense in our world is like a window into heaven. When I invite my neighbors that are a little weird and who nobody else in the neighborhood likes, when I invite them over for dinner, you're showing the rest of the neighborhood that this is a little picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like, where God welcomes his enemies to feast at his table and brings them into his family. You see, every act of generosity and goodness that we do in the name of Jesus, we are saying to the world, look, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like because God is going to restore all of this. And reconciliation will, will be across the board. We will live in peaceful relationships with one another, flourishing in abundance and feasting. By the way, this is why we have a, a sacramental feast up here every week because this is a vision. It's just a little symbol of the heavenly feast that we are in for at the banquet table of God. See, when you cling to the cross of Jesus, you say, Jesus died for me. So even if my problems aren't solved in this life, even if they're not completely healed, I will keep my allegiance to him because he forgave my sins so that I could have eternal life. Paul says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. When you put your faith in Jesus and walk through the waters of baptism, he says that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and will give life to your mortal flesh. That is the promise of the gospel. See, that's the Christian hope that we'll see God work in supernatural ways in this life. Okay, don't hear me out. Don't don't hear hear me wrongly. We should be praying fervently for healing for restoration in our relationships, for people to come to the, know the Lord Jesus, for addictions to be broken, for things to be healed, for justice in our communities. But at the same time, we also recognize that it's not ultimate yet. The kingdom hasn't come in its fullness yet. There are still things broken. There are bodies marred by disease, hearts marred by sin, and lives untouched by the power of the gospel. But if you believe that the kingdom has come, already and that it's coming in all of its fullness you'll make it the purpose of your life to cooperate with god in advancing his kingdom throughout the world right walking into the areas where no one else will go like jesus did to shine the light of the gospel and bring healing what a call what an exciting adventure we should be jumping out of our seats when we leave this place on sunday mornings because god has called us into the most exciting adventure that we could have in life because we are working towards a vision that we know god himself will bring about see christians should be people of anticipation of all people in the world we should be the people of anticipation because we are we should be anticipating what is to come the life to come more than anyone else but we should also be patient we should also be the most patient people, knowing that the kingdom has arrived. It's working its way slowly throughout the world and through us. And that when the king returns, he will bring the fullness of the kingdom to us. I want to um, close today. I think it's appropriate just to read from you um, the vision that John has in the book of Revelation. I know Revelation make, makes us all a little uncomfortable. 
myself included. But listen to this is kind of at the very end of the Bible, which is great because the Bible, it doesn't end 2,000 years ago. The Bible actually ends in the future. We're not there yet. So because John has a vision of the future, this is how I'm just going to end today. I'm just going to read this to you as we come to a close because I want to end with the hope of the vision that Christian scriptures give us of what is to come. Here's what John says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things and I will be their God and they will be my children. Let us pray. Almighty God, we walk through this life with so many questions about the suffering that we see. But we also celebrate the places in our lives and in the lives of others that your finger has come down and touched and given us a sign of the life to come. And Lord, you have given us as your church a commission to be patient in our own suffering, but actually to go out into the world and make the kingdom of heaven known to pray healing for others, to invite people to trust in you as Lord and give their allegiance to take it from the world and to give it to you and to pronounce and proclaim the good news that God proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the vision of the life to come. We pray that it would fill our hearts with hope and joy and peace and an eagerness to share this treasure that we have with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.